This meeting is being recorded. Hello, this is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight we have Justin Urquhart-Stewart on. Justin is a friend of Monday Night Live. He's appeared with us six times. But let me tell you just a little bit about Justin. He's a TV and radio personality, both in here and all around the world. He's a financial commentator who blends humour with cutting-edge, up-to-the-minute information. Justin, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. I'm not sure what's on your shoulder, but that sounds like your, your cat. Uh, it's one of them. The trouble is, as soon as you put Zoom on, I've heard one of them heads immediately for my shoulder. They do any form of publicity they can get. I can't see what she's doing, but let me know. Fantastic. Anyway, yeah, great, to, great to see you. I've got a number of questions for you, yeah. but uh, why don't you tell us what's going on in this very confusing world economy with, uh, you know, with uh, Ukraine, with interest rates uh, going up, uh, inflation at 11.1% or whatever the uh, fictional number is. And uh, I see the FTSE went up uh, 100 points today. Yeah, it's been going around all over the place. Don't uh, take that much of a judgment as to what's going on. Uh, actually, really should be watching the bond market. Remember, the bond market's about 10 times larger than the equity market. It tells you a lot more about what's going to be happening in the future. And in the future, it doesn't, I'm afraid, look that particularly rosy, but it shouldn't necessarily come as a surprise to any of us. But you just add together all the uh, points you were talking about there and other elements around the world. And we've been, you know, gnashing together about this for 18 months or so. And you can join the dots. Um, and I'm afraid you could see the effect of it. It's affecting that one vital word that runs any economy, and that is confidence. Um, and so where's the confidence, except for the very brave or the foolhardy, to say, I'm going to step in now. So I'm afraid we've got a whole series of elements to try and sort out. There are similarities, we could say, with other periods when we had high inflation back in the 70s, which some of us can remember. But it was a different type of inflation in those days and different to answer. Um, and listening to some of the politicians at the moment and listening to some of the Treasury officials, uh, a lot of them don't seem to know the answer either. And in Britain, that's quite understandable because in years gone by, the Treasury, uh, in fact, most of the senior civil servants uh, were hand-picked, highly intelligent individuals, and they were there as a career, whether in the Treasury, the Foreign Office, whatever it was. So that's why they had a great reputation. Whoever the government was, you had a professional civil service behind you with a great deal of experience and expertise. I noticed this, this has changed in the days of privatizations. So that first had the first privatizations uh, with, with Maggie. Um, you go along to the, uh, the Treasury and they knew all about it, were way ahead of you. Uh, but actually, more recently, over the past 10 or 15 years, you go there and you realize they're perfectly bright people, but they don't know because they've adopted modern HR policies, which means they spend three to four years in this job, then they go to the Foreign Office, then they go to pensions. So very expert in, uh, or very um, intelligent, but not expert in the level of detail that they had before. So when we're up against inflation now, the answer that we see coming out is some of the usual words being trotted out, raising interest rates and things like that, without really fully understanding, joining the dots, to see how this is actually going to play out. So when central bankers say, well, we're going to raise interest rates, that'll stop inflation. Well, if it was a boom of an economy because we were spending too much and borrowing too much, then actually uh, putting interest rates up actually will have an effect. Actually, in this economy, where you've got different reasons for inflation, putting interest rates up won't have much direct effect to have an indirect effect. Um, and in fact, it will cause more difficulty because it'll actually not prevent, but it'll certainly make recovery more difficult. But on the other mm. hand, what do central banks actually do? There's not a great deal they can do. Um, the UK would have claimed to have an independent central bank. That is, of course, complete utter tosh. 
Um, after all, the governor of the Bank of England is appointed by the Treasury. Uh, the four members of the committee uh, who are from the Bank of England have to be approved by the Treasury, and the four independent people have to be actually nominated and approved by the Treasury. But apart from that, it's completely independent. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh, and there's a vote from the Treasury sitting in on the meeting as well. So be rather wary of what you're being told about all of this. So the answer is most central banks don't know what to do at the moment. Now, there's one bit of good news with inflation. There isn't much good news, but a bit of good news is, of course, it deflates the value of your debt as much as anything else. So if you had inflation running at 10% for several years, that would be disastrous, but it does mean the value of your debt actually goes down. Um, and so one needs to be extremely careful indeed. So a little bit of inflation is quite good, but it is a sort of three bears type story. Not too hot, not too cold. You want it somewhere in the middle. And the trouble is it very, very rarely ends up in the middle. Uh, so deflation, we've known over the past few years that that was bad. Your economy can shrink that way. And now we've gone too far the other way. There's another bit of good news you can reach towards as well. And bear in mind, inflation is a monthly calculation based on the past 12 months. It's a monthly calculation, depending on which country you're in, normally based on a, ba on a basket of goods or items, um, which are pretty strange, some of them. In the British basket of goods, I think it includes watermelons. Uh, well, I don't know, but I can't remember the last time I saw a watermelon in Britain, let alone where I bought one. I hardly see it's inflationary. Um, but uh, bear in mind that oil obviously doubled in price, and we saw more with gas. Um, and so at some stage this year, unless you think it's going to double again, then that month rise will drop off, and therefore your inflation level will start to come down again. Can but I ask course, you, can I, can I jump in for a minute there um, with just two or three questions for yeah. that I don't understand? So the only way to stop um, inflation in the old days was to put interest rates up. Mm -hmm. Other countries are trying that, aren't they? But they're not really putting it up. I mean, what's the Fed now? 1.25 or, or, or something like that. So, so what do they do? Um, is, it the, um, is it our borrowing, you know, the, uh, the quantitative easing that's devalued? Or should I go out and uh, buy a couple of properties and borrow as much of it off it as possible because that will um, devalue the debt as well? Well, certainly real assets in times like this, which is why traditionally people would say in a moment like this, you go and buy gold. Um, I've never always been such a fan, but I can understand that some of the time that works because gold, remember, just goes up and down. That's it. It's pretty binary. It doesn't give you any returns. So there's no yield on it. And remember, one of the great benefits of investing in the stock market is, of course, you get your compounding of your divvies. And certainly UK market, that's very important indeed. So it's, this one is we're being affected by a combination of factors coming together. So how do you try and address it? Yes, interest rates will go up. Central banks want to put interest rates up because remember, still at emergency rate levels from a decade ago after the banking crisis. So one simplistic level, talking to the Bank of England, is what well, we've got to put rates up because when it gets really bad, we want to cut them. It's quite difficult to cut them when they're there at naught. So uh, we really ought to have some form of impact. So a rise of some scale um, is frankly to uh, uh, expected. Bear in mind, there's another problem, which to, frankly the government hadn't realised, or certainly I think some of the um, people in politics I've been speaking to hadn't really understood it, was of course actually the debt that we've created from quantitative easing. Um, of course, most of that debt is owned by the government. In fact, the largest holder of UK government debt is the government. So twice a year, they have to sit down, write a check out or a coupon out to themselves. Brilliant. You couldn't make this up, could you? Um, but it does mean, of course, in due course, uh, in, it does mean that the Bank of England stroke government could actually, because it's on both sides of the balance sheet in terms of the borrower and the buyer, actually cross each other out and negate it and actually reduce it that way. 
you wouldn't do that straight away because people start, start panicking about, uh, about the British economy. But anybody who's got quantitative easing, that's something you'll be doing quietly. And they'll refer to that as just letting it run off. Um, and you hear that mentioned a few times. But now we have to be wary because actually the cost of this debt, and I remember we talked about this about a year ago, uh, for the UK, it was about 50 billion pounds a year in debt. Um, uh, sorry, interest on that debt, 50 billion. Now to give that some perspective, that's slightly higher than the UK defense budget uh, every year. In the past year, that figure has now gone from 50 billion to 80 billion. What? 80 billion, and you then think, hang on a second, how much does the uh, natural health service cost? And the answer is just over 100 billion. So we're, you know, one of our biggest <laughs> items of expenditure is interest on the debt. And we've been warning about this for some time. And of course, one of the problems was the, the Treasury thought they're being, well, the Bank of England thought they're being clever, because what they did was actually produce index-linked debt, which is fine when you haven't got inflation. When you've got inflation, you've now got the cost of that debt going up quite significantly. Uh, so I'm afraid they have uh, inadvertently walked into their own pit um, and it's going to make life difficult for them. So if that carries on going up, that is a way in which banks or central banks lose the confidence they'll have of investors. And for Britain, that's important because Britain may be the fifth largest economy in the world, but sterling is no longer the important currency it used to be. Obviously not. It's still a reserve currency, but is dwarfed, obviously, by the dollar and by the euro, whether you like the euro or not. Um, and so Britain needs to be very careful of that in order to make sure they retain the international confidence. Britain's never defaulted on its debt, and most countries actually have defaulted on its debt, either nationally or locally, even the states, um, uh, but we've never done so. So there is a level of innate trust, but they won't trust you to think actually it's going to be out of control and this cost of debt just keeps rising. So what about the US then? What's going on? What's going on over there? I see uh, the pound has, fall, has fallen big time against the US dollar. Well, with that, remember, it's, it's the dollar. So the dollar has risen in times of nervousness around the world. You buy the dollar. Um, it's, uh, you wouldn't necessarily be buying sterling. So it's a combination of the two. Um, uh, I'm not going to insult my knowledge with uh, all your American colleagues and, and chums, but we know what's uh, coming up. Of course, we've got the midterms. Whilst the Monday evening entertainment in terms of coming out of the uh, committee meetings are fascinating, I suspect that's not what people are going to be voting on. It'll be the economy, stupid. Um, and uh, I'm not going to insult anybody by wishing to uh, compromise any view on Biden and things like that. But he doesn't come over as a strong leader. He doesn't come over with a great deal of confidence. Um, and that's seen internationally as well as domestically. Um, the only trouble is he somehow even gets the extent. You might say, say well, they'd rather have Trump. No, surely not. Can't be, but I'm afraid people will look at the cost of gas, uh, they look at the rest of inflation, cost of food, and things like that, and they'll vote accordingly. And that's probably not with the Democrats. I see Trump's raised 130 billion dollars uh, towards for his him. next campaign or something for himself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was quite astonishing that actually I'm always amazed by the amount of money can be raised so quickly from these things. But I presume this is really an issue of our. Uh, of our uh, media these days, we are our, all in our own little echo chambers. We read and hear and watch what we want to. And if the other side are disagreeing with it, well, it doesn't matter, I don't have to watch them. So I don't even have to take any account of them whatsoever. Um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a desperate shame that uh, more people aren't willing to be open-eyed and open-eared as to what the opposite side's saying and where they might be going. Uh, America needs, the world needs some strong leadership. Why? Just look at Moscow. 
No, you're up against someone there who is a beast that doesn't care. He doesn't care about his own population, doesn't care about anybody else's population. And we think you're going to have a nice reasonable discussion with uh, um, that comrade. I think we're going to have another thing coming. What he will react to, and as he's done in the past, is when you stamp hard and actually look at him hard in the eyes and say no, uh, you'll get his attention. Uh, but if you look wimpy-eyed about it and sit there and say, well, let's have another go. Remember, what did we do when he nicked Crimea? Nothing. Well, a few uh, you know, sanctions and this, that and the other, but nothing at all. What happened with nicked bits of Georgia? Nothing. <laughs> so you could just, uh, we've got a track record of stupidity or inability to act, a certainly lack of trustworthiness. If I was supposed to be an ally of uh, NATO at the moment, where am I putting my support? Well, the ones that comes, comes to help me. Um, NATO has come to help, but uh, even now you can see whether it's the Germans, certainly the Hungarians, so let's say NATO, but the Germans and the French beginning to start walking backwards and saying, uh, really, we don't necessarily want to be uh, too hard on the chap. We've got to find a way out for him, which may be true. But at times like this, you need some steely-eyed glare saying, you are not going any further with this. And of course, the world can't afford it either, because it's not just an East European nation. You all know the figures of the amount of uh, fertilizer and grain that Ukraine produce. And if they can't produce it, let alone export it, then you're going to get famine, as we can all already see it starting in the likes of Yemen, the pressure in Egypt and Lebanon, and those are the worst countries. And what do you get with that? You get social destabilization. Social destabilization, what do you get? ISIS or its equivalent. And you could see in the country that first started the Arab Spring, Tunisia, that's starting again. Um, and uh, so I fear very much this is not to turn, this is not just be a local dispute, this turns into a global issue. And there isn't an easy way out of it. And of course, our dear Chinese friends, well, they'll sit there quite happily and just sit back and let the, everyone else bicker about it. They don't need to do anything. They've got their own problems, remember. Um, their property market is a sham. Uh, their stock market is still, I'm afraid, never ever believed uh, a Chinese uh, bought accounts. We always used to laugh, the Italians had three sets of reporting accounts. Uh, one for you, one for the tax office, and then one for the people who actually own the company. And even then, you probably have, wouldn't actually get the truth out of it. The Chinese have God knows how many. Bear in mind, Chinese companies go bust when the party says it can go bust. Am I just being uh, overplaying with too much hyperbole? No, this is exactly what happens. So be very careful indeed. The Chinese economy at the moment is slowing down rapidly. And you don't get to hear of the, well, the last year, there were over 2,000 major, major social riots in China. Doesn't get any coverage because obviously they don't want that um, to really going out with pictures about it, leave aside the Ouija issues as well. Chinese Communist Party need to keep control, firm control. And one of the ways you do that is make sure the economy keeps going. Everyone has a job, has somewhere to live. Um, and uh, then people will be, will be uh, relatively happy to carry on. As soon as you start taking that away, you can't fill your basic promises that's when you start getting uh, destabilization. And so Xi, apart from else, wants to make sure that economy keeps going. He doesn't want to get involved in Russia or anything else. He's just got to make sure he gets through this very unpleasant trough that China's going to have to get its way through. But it's uh, a lot of that, watch the property market. There's a huge amount there of empty, invested property, which uh, has yet to be written off. It'll be written off when those companies start going bust. We had Evergreen uh, going bust, um, but that's not enough. Not evergreen, or the company's called, I've forgotten. Um, but uh, there'll be others to follow. Well, you're leading into a few other, other issues there. There's China and Taiwan. What are we going to do about that if something happens and those islands in the South China Sea? But I also want to ask you about President Macron 
our next door neighbor 20 miles over the uh, channel but usually different to us he lost yesterday on the face of it and uh, i'm not sure about any leadership coming out of germany since uh, mrs merkel departed the scene no, no it's a shame actually mrs merkel of course uh, was seen as a great leader of europe uh, although i have to say lost her, her reputation pretty quickly when uh, people started, we've talked about this before, isn't it dangerous having your power being delivered from the Russians? The hard answer would be yes, but now with a alternative capitalism, we've got on the hook. To which the answer is, who's on the hook? The answer is, we are, not them. Um, and uh, so I'm afraid her attitude to try and actually bind the uh, Russians closer to Europe has actually found that the knots have been tied the wrong way round. Uh, Herr Schultz, I don't think, looks much of a uh, strong candidate at the moment, strong uh, uh, leader at the moment. I have to give him some time. Uh, Macron, of course, is just trying to salve his ego uh, because it was somewhat dented. He was so happy to actually got the presidency, but of course, now he hasn't got a working government. How much can he get done remains to be seen. I'm afraid the EU is looking a mess at the moment, hasn't got any great leadership. Uh, those people who wanted Britain to leave, uh, well, this just underlines probably why they might have been right. I would argue, actually, we would have had a probably a different aspect in the EU had we remained in. Because one of the things Germans wanted to do is reform the EU. As a member of their foreign minister in London, this is what, now, four or five years ago, yep. when asked the question, what happens uh, if Britain votes to leave? And he said, uh, this wasn't in public, he said, I'll burst into tears. Said, what? He said, not literally. He said, but the point is, we need to reform Europe. But I can't reform Europe if you're not there. I need some other big financial allies. And frankly, Denmark ain't it. Um, so I need Britain and Germany there to actually sit there against the French and say, look, this is you can't just have this as a lovely French idea um, and full of goodwill, which the EU was, without actually looking at the mathematics and the operations underneath it and realise that it ain't going to work in its current form. Uh, and so the EU still has that problem. And the problem of the euro, I'm afraid, you know, my view is that it is a lovely concept. Single currencies are very difficult to manage. And if you have a single currency, you've got to have a harmonized fiscal policy, taxation policy, free movement of capital, harmonized banking and banking regulation, and you do not have that across the euro. So eventually what you're going to see is actually start these economies starting to pull apart and it'll create more problems with the, with the uh, euro. You were a big fan of Brexit. I know you were really gutted when, um, when the vote came out. I think a lot of us were really surprised. Uh, are you saying you think it's a good thing now? I sure I don't hate myself for saying I know I still think it's a bad thing because I think we could have done much more to actually help situation being in it. Us being outside it is utterly, utterly stupid outside the single market. And you're finding yourself in a position like Norway. We're not even in a position of Norway, um, but uh, you're having to pay to participate in it if you so wish. Hang on, cat's escaping. Thank heaven. There you go. Uh, but um, what you'll, you'll find is increasingly they have they make their decisions and we're affected by it but we have no impact uh, or input in ourselves so there we are sitting next to the largest trading block in the world with actually no input into it at all um, and that frankly is a, is a stupid situation to be in we left on a uh, on the basis of uh, an emotion and flag waving of pseudo uh, nationalism uh, and isn't it independent isn't it great we can do our own thing well no not necessarily because doing dancing on your own uh, on the outside of the EU is a pretty lonely place to be. But when now our foreign minister, I mean, uh, Miss Truss, has reached an agreement for, uh, for cheese with uh, New Zealand and things like that, no doubt it'll all be safe. Oh, for God's sake, do me a favour. She might as well have a free trade agreement with San Marino. 
<laughs> no, great. Okay, no, thanks for that. So, um, what about things? Okay, let's talk about the strike for yeah. a minute because uh, Mick Lynch or whatever his name is, the on RMT, just looks like somebody that uh, wants to take take us back to the miners' strike and pull everybody out asking for 11 percent the government have offered two percent it looks like amateur negotiations from the uh, 1970s it is funny i must go and actually find a, some recording of some of the um, uh, leader trade union leadership of the era he sounds exactly like that and particularly when he starts referring to and the working class um and uh, you know the, the the failure of capitalism and all the old you know trope lines coming up and uh, so uh, but it's a it's a very good way of actually sort of trying to get an emotional element across. The only issue is, of course, the real benefit from it uh, is, um, uh, is, of course, the Prime Minister, who is in a terrible stroke. And, but now he can turn around and say, look, now all these people are on strike. Uh, you need me to try and lead your way out. Of it. It's making Boris look good. That's quite an effort to be able to do that. And the leader of the opposition seems to be in catch-22, doesn't he? Paid by the um, paid a lot of money by the RMT and uh, doesn't know whether to condemn it or not. In fact, yeah, that has been his strategy on everything so far, hasn't it? I can't even remember his name. Um, but he obviously does look rather like a rather sad Spaniel who just told off for, for peeing on the carpet. Um, no, he's perfectly bright after all. You know, he had a great legal career. This man is not stupid, but he's not an emotional leader either. And in that sort of job, you've got to be able to inspire people to say, you know, follow me, this is what, what to do. Good heavens, there are an awful lot of open targets for him to have a go at at the moment. Um, you know, from the, the corruption we're seeing in government at different levels, depending on how, what you feel about the Tory government, through to the mismanagement of uh, elements that are happening with, uh, uh, with the pandemic, all sorts of issues. That, but, you know, open goals are relevant to him. What he says comes over as so weak and insipid. Now, we've got two by-elections coming up this week. Labour will win one and the Liberal Democrats will win the other. Um, now, that's really not that, that, that news for the Tories. They don't really care at all. Labour will, no matter how, how quickly, I'm sorry, how strongly they win, is it really going to be a big win for them? And it may be, but I still think he's not going to have enough strength to carry it forward. A name from the, from the past is one of the previous uh, uh, would-be leaders of the Labour Party. Um, and uh, coming back, uh, and actually, when you can find uh, one of it, oh God, his name's just gone straight out of my brain now. Um, the two brothers, um, yeah. it was the brother that got elected, and the other one went off to go and run International Rescue, which I thought was a, a, a cartoon film, but no matter. Well, uh, anyway. It starts with David, I can't remember his surname either, but somebody no, will help it, us out. Yeah, Thanks, David. Millipede, that was it. Um, <laughs> And the uh, and it was interesting. He's been back in town the past few days because his time at International Rescue, um, as uh, apparently coming to an end, is now looking for a job. Now he's exactly the sort of person, and we're at all surprised that actually they'll turn around to and say, "This guy's got leadership quality to him, whether you like him or not." Forget the politics. Who's got the Who's got the fairy dust, the sparkle dust, to actually make us win elections? Uh, well, it ain't the current one, so maybe he could be the next one. And he really, I think, would be attacking Boris far more effectively. Um, let's say I'm not going to be voting for him myself, uh, but just merely looking at the, the candidates as if you were saying, you know, politically, who's actually got the best opportunity here? Well, it's not the current leadership. It was interesting that I think Ed Miliband knifed his own brother up, didn't he, for the election and David Miliband was going to win. I mean, what yep. a thing to do. You can't can't make this stuff up. It is. It is. Uh, well, I suppose a bit like dealing with Mr. Gove um, and uh, Osborne. Uh, and uh, the usual infighting we saw there. 
Um, and again, you know, did, what did Boris do? Did Boris do this because he wanted Brexit? No, Boris wanted to do it because it's Boris. Now, he's so uh, focused on himself. And you have to look, I mean, none of us would get away with going to Ulster, promising you're not going to move the border, and then moving the border. And then goes back again and says, well, I didn't really mean it like that. I mean, at some stage, someone's going to turn around and just say, the emperor seems to be, you know, somewhat sartorially challenged. But he gets away with it. But he's got a problem now. Uh, when you've got 40% of your current MPs voting against you, um, that's not a matter of, well, we'll repair that in time. No, no, that's a pretty good warning. Life's going to get worse, not better for him. Uh, and of course, the economy is going to go. We're going to have some form of global recession, um, a slowdown. We shouldn't get too upset by it. Economies go in waves. Um, we've had a very, very strong run for a long time. We've probably had too long a run. We should have actually gone through this cycle before. So I wouldn't be at all surprised that we're going to be seeing a, a recession, a slowdown, um, and then, then you hopefully pick back up again after that. But it's going to take some time, I'm afraid, to work our way through it. What governments now need to do is to focus on the areas of strengths of their particular economies. In Britain, actually, that's relatively straightforward. Uh, and it's not making cars. Actually, in terms for Britain, it's actually technology um, and the technology hubs we've got um, and be able to actually really uh, develop those. We're very good at starting them. Um, we're actually rotten at financing them and developing them, which is why a lot of them get, built, get bought up uh, five, six years after startup uh, by others around the world who can see the technology and want to invest in it. Um, but unfortunately, with Britain, we're still trying to work out perhaps we should have a high speed train. Oh, yes, the French did that, what, 20 years ago? Longer, <laughs> longer, much longer. Exactly. Oh, dear. Anyway. Yeah. Let's talk about speculation now where we've, you and I have talked about cryptocurrencies and uh, they changed the name of everything. I was trying to work out what an NFT was. I thought that was a not, um, not a fantastic negotiating tactic. I had that written down in my book, but uh, um, house prices, a lot of people have been speculating about that. If interest rates go up, they could all be repossessed, but I don't think the government can let that happen. Uh, what's your view on, on that now? Well, thank heaven, some reality is coming to this stupidity. Yes, the non-fungible token. Please explain. No, it's a waste of oxygen. Um, the issue of down to the cryptocurrencies, number one, it's not a currency. It never had been a currency. The fact you can exchange things for them, well, you can do that with a Mars bar if you so wish. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it a currency. It's not regulated. Um, it is incredibly, incredibly environmentally expensive to try and operate because of all the computer power necessary to try and run it. Um, and so therefore they are a disaster waiting to happen, not just once, but several times. Um, but you know, push it back up again, everyone said, this is the future. Only one country has been stupid enough to actually, uh, actually make it as part of its national currency, El Salvador. Mind you, that was a country that also had its own currency as the colon, um, which I think is rather unfortunate name. Um, I don't know how many colon, no, I think we'll leave that one. Uh, <laughs> and on. But it is ridiculous. Um, so frankly, it needs to be put back into its box and just seen as a lesson to go along with uh, Dutch tulip investments and things like that. No, no, the bit to look at is actually the blockchain structure itself. That is interesting because I can see governments actually using uh, blockchain technology to control their government debt. Because the thing about blockchain is, you know every single trade that will occur if you regard a cryptocurrency as being a spider's web, anything that touches that spider's web, any trade or anything like that, the rest of them will know exactly what's going on. So if government wants control of its debt and wants to know what's going on with it, 
you, know, you operate it through a blockchain mechanism, you have far greater control as to what's actually happening with it. So the mechanism for it could actually prove very useful indeed. Uh, but the cryptocurrency route um, is just uh, you know, a stupid aberration. And the sooner that people realize if they want to go out gambling, that's why we have race courses. Um, if you want to go investing, that's got nothing to do with, uh, nothing to do with uh, crypto. We've got good investment markets, be they public or private, uh, which will give you opportunities to win and lose huge amounts of money. Crypto, I'm afraid, will always be that sort of beast. Um, was, was never, it's never going to get properly regulated. People don't fully understand it. Um, and frankly, it's got too much dirty money floating around it already. Yeah, but that's a big issue, isn't it? Because people have already lost their shirt on cryptocurrency and people are still going around saying borrow as much money as you can and put them in, put it into in these types of investments. That really well, worries me as an, as an ex-banker. I think it's criminal. But when's, gonna, when's someone going to do something about it or just can't they? Uh, well, what you could really do, well, you could get the regulators to actually sit there and say this is not an investable item and not be who shouldn't be using it. But even that, you know, we can put messages out to the blue in the face. Uh, someone will sit there and say, yes, but look what I can do with this. Um, it, you know, just like anyone dealing in a Ponzi scheme, they get carried away with the idea if we all just chip in more, we'll all get our money back as well. Um, the fact it doesn't work um, you know, is almost beside the point. No, no, the way you have to teach people this is going back to basics. How do you get wealthy? Um, and you get wealthy by building up family assets over time. It takes a long time. If you're trying to get rich quickly, well, that's a very good way of probably getting poor quickly as well. Um, it's going to be very high risk and frankly, really rather stupid. You build up family assets over time, it takes decades. And then you can manage the family money across the generations. Uh, and that way we'll be much, uh, much better for us all. Uh, so it's going to be, I think, really rather, rather a difficult time because people don't know what to do. You do need to invest in assets. Gold will be uh, uh, a place to go to. Uh, property, got to be careful actually in terms of what you're going to be getting because uh, somebody's been highly overvalued. Oh, God, a fantastic drinks just arrived as well. Is that uh, tea for everybody? Uh, Virginia, can you pass them round? And congratulations to both of you uh, on your uh, marriage a month ago from all of us. A round of applause for Justin and Virginia in the usual Monday night way. That's it. Careful, she's a journalist. She'll have it all written down. <laughs> well, well we, we went off on honeymoon out to Indonesia. I come back. The first thing that happens, I go to hospital. So, um, anyway. I still have better ways of starting a honeymoon. Well, too much red wine, Justin. Let's let's be honest. And uh, stick to the vodka and coke instead at the moment. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, we're nearly out. We're nearly out of time. I'm going to stop the recording in a minute, but uh, we haven't got any short, sharp questions in the chat box, which means you've blown everybody away with your <laughs> insights, which which are great. Uh, while I'm just checking the chat box, have you got one last thought for people? going forward in the next 12 months? Where do you see things going? Right, okay. Um, what you have to look at here is you've got the political risks, which none of us will, uh, we can understand, we'll have a view and opinion, uh, but it's going to depend on what the Russia is going to do. If, for instance, there is an, a coup and uh, Putin gets knocked over, um, then that could change things altogether, really quite significantly indeed. Um, we can't, I can't read that one, that's very difficult. It'd be nice to think you did get over, got knocked over and you found someone who was more reliable to deal with, but who knows? No, what we need to be able to have is making sure that the Chinese and the Americans have a proper dialogue together. Don't get too worked up over Taiwan. The Taiwanese have a quite strong party that actually tries to link up with China. And China's not stupid. It's not as though you're going to invade the Isle of Wight 
two miles away, it's a big distance between the mainland and Taiwan. Uh, so no, they are, they will be practical over it. Um, and so they don't need to win that one. The Chinese themselves are having problems because of what's happened with their policy. Um, you know, they have been becoming pseudo-colonial powers. We certainly see it in Africa. The first wave, I saw this in Uganda, first wave go in, they didn't learn um, uh, Swahili. They actually got to learn you know, the local patois and they were brilliant at it. The second wave coming in, maybe understood patois. Third wave coming in, we built Chinatown, no locals allowed in. Um, and you know, just, it's just a repeat of British, American, French colonial uh, history, unfortunately. Um, and uh, so they aren't winning any friends with that one. And certainly you can see that specifically in Sri Lanka and a few weeks ago, Sri Lanka went bust again. And of course, one of the reasons they went bust is because the Chinese have been pouring the money in. They built a port in the southeast of the uh, corner of Sri Lanka where there's nothing at all. Um, and the Chinese said, you need a port here. And they said, no, I don't really need a port. Yes, you do. Uh, we'll give you the money for it. Oh, we kept the money. They built a port. The port just happened to fit the entire Indian Ocean Chinese Navy. Um, the port uh, payments were being made to the port of Shanghai, who technically were the lender. Uh, once they failed to pay it, the ownership of the port went to the port of Shanghai. Um, now, all of those, that's just an example of it. You'll now multiply that around the world. Um, it, sound, it looks as though China's trying to build this great road, you know, the Silk Route around the world. It actually looks more of a money grasping plot rather than anything else. So where do we go to? We need China on side in a workable way. And Xi's never been, uh, it's been increasingly focused on him uh, and very little on actually swapping the two wings of the party, which traditionally changed every 10 years. But we need a much more working relationship with him. The good news is the global economy is still growing. It will grow slower. You see what's happening in Southeast Asia, still good. Um, and so I believe we're gonna see, we are gonna see a slowdown. You might even see um, a recession of a couple of months, but I don't think it's gonna be that deep um, and you're going to see then, I think, a pickup, I would suggest, in about 18 months' time. Um, and why is that the case? Well, the issue you've got at the moment of this inflation should die away if we could start managing oil, gas and commodity prices, i.e. getting making sure there's no shortage of any of them, actually making sure that the trade on them can be done smoothly and this supply chain structure, which has been so devastating, starts to sort itself out. Um, and uh, so a combination of issues means that it's going to be unpleasant for the next few years for investors. There will come a time in this year when actually markets will get a little bit more strength behind them. They're not there at the moment. There's going to be, so I think, some pretty nasty moves. My view would be set some more cash aside. I'm not selling out of the market. I'm still got a businesses where I'm investing in where I'm getting a good dividend. I'm compounding that dividend. That's been with the miners and things like that. Um, and even the oil companies that everybody hates. Uh, but nonetheless, um, uh, I'm getting my dividends, that's compounding, but I've got a bigger lump of cash sitting on one side, so that when the values of certain areas go down, um, then I think we're taking that and we're buying up some, some opportunities. If you think there's going to be a recovery, if you don't think there's going to be a recovery, we're heading for disaster, go and buy a case of scotch and sit in a cave in Wales. Um, and there's not much you can actually do. I don't believe the world's going to end, um, and we can just carry on actually using common sense with it. Unfortunately, something our leaders don't have. Three last questions, and you've only got a couple of minutes to ask, answer them. Two come from the uh, other side of the, of the pond, from California. Is there a plan to handle the natural gas crisis in UK and Europe before winter sets in? David Skinner, why is it so hard to get the US and China to appreciate working together? Would be in their both interests. They should buy my book, Win-Win, really, shouldn't they? And finally, will it be possible for NATO to provide a humanitarian corridor 
out of Odessa to get uh, Ukraine grain out of Africa and Asia? That's, that, that sounds like three, uh, three really difficult questions. You've got two minutes to answer. Three, three good essay titles there. So let's start with number three. It'll, you've got incredible, NATO can't do anything uh, unless he gets the agreement from, uh, from the Russians to do it. Is it in the Russians', uh, uh, is it in the Russians uh, interest to actually allow that? Well, the answer is yes, it is. Uh, they may end up actually just uh, helping the grain on its way, i.e. nicking some of it, um, but it's not in their interest to create more social problems. What they'd love to do is take the grain, put it in a Russian bag, saying property of Russia, and then give it to the third world and say, actually, look what we've done for you. That would be much more their way of going about it. Uh, now, to answer the question with regard to gas and oil this coming winter, have they made any plans? Well, if they're not doing anything, they're, <laughs> they're not paying attention. Are there plans to try and actually provide greater support? Yes, there are. But of course, increasing gas supply out of the North Sea or other areas is not a, like a tap. Um, in America, you've got the benefit of fracking, where there almost is a tap. You can start fracking again really quite quickly. Uh, we don't have that uh, luxury in Britain at the moment. Um, and is the rest of Europe shunting around looking for a, a, other suppliers? Yes, there is. Uh, yes, they are. And of course, Qatar being the largest supplier coming through. Um, but again, they're not all geared up for LPG. Um, so yes, it's going to be next winter is going to be very difficult indeed. It's particularly going to be difficult um, for the poorer end of society in Europe. Uh, because this sort of inflation they're getting is not inflation because of asset prices going up and we'll all be spending more money on our uh, computer equipment and iPhones and things like that. No, this is a base commodity prices going up. The price of pasta has gone up by 100% in smaller packets. Um, and that may only be going from 30p to 60p. But if you are actually living at the wrong end of uh, the financial system, uh, that's a great increase in your cost. And you ain't seeing that sort of increase in your income. And the I final think, one is um, getting the US and China to work together. We, well, maybe we uh, should leave that for uh, next year. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's an essay in its own right. The answer is it's both in their interest to do so. Uh, the trouble is the Americans are torn with elections and uh, coming up. Um, China doesn't have to go through the benefit of such things, uh, but it's in China's interest too. China needs the global economy to pick up. Remember these two countries are in a symbiotic relationship. They need each other. Why? Because you normally the largest holder of American debt, sometimes Japanese, but most of the time it's Chinese. The Americans need the Chinese. China needs the America because who's their biggest trading partner? America. So please wake up, you two, get together, bickering amongst yourselves as I've got a bigger aircraft carrier than yours. Uh, size isn't everything, um, but some people would disagree. Justin Urquhart Stewart, thank you so much for joining us yet again on the Monday Night Live. And would I ask everybody to give you the usual thanks in the Monday Night Live way, Justin Urquhart Stewart. Uh, we look forward to the next catch up, which is probably June for uh, September or October. It'll be interesting if we have um, a different uh, leader, a different leader in any other countries and we'll see what's uh, happening. Catch up with you soon and thanks once again for joining us. And if you'd stay on, that would be terrific.